I'm Essen Zafar, and welcome to another episode of Unfair Nation, the podcast that discusses our nation's rising inequity and social, political, and economic inequality, what it means for you, and what you can do about it. Every other week, we interview one person for 25 minutes to get their perspective on structural inequality. And today, I'm joined by Gabriel Krishok, a data scientist in Washington, D.C. Hi, Gabriel. Hi, Essen. Nice to be here. Yeah. Or is it uh, Gabe? <laughs> Gabby. <laughs> it's so odd calling uh, somebody Gabriel. I feel like I'm talking to the heavens. Uh, you need you need all three syllables. That's the important part. You know, you got to really commit to it. We met at PopTech uh, a couple of years ago. Yes, we did. In Maine. Quite a first world uh, conference. <laughs> it feels uh, very distant from us yeah. now, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think I made the mistake of calling you Gabe. And you corrected <laughs> me. Remember. You said only, <laughs> only people that are close friends can call me Gabe. <laughs> For you, I'm Gabriel. <laughs> uh, that tracks. That tracks. This guy. This is the guy I want on my podcast. <laughs> well, depending on how this goes, you know, maybe you'll get the upgrade. We'll see. Oh, thanks. Uh, so, let's talk about you first. Maybe tell us a little bit about uh, your background. You're, you have a kind of a data scientist uh, development background, but you also have a kind of a side gig that's uh, becoming increasingly relevant in our in our times. Yeah, no, thank you. So, um, you know, I work, uh, sort of my day job is in Washington, D.C., and I work uh, primarily as a data scientist and sort of program manager for uh, an organization that works in the international development sphere. Uh, so there's obviously a lot of those types of organizations in D.C., um, I've been here for about uh, eight years now and have worked with a, a number of organizations and uh, probably the longest stint was at the, the U.S. Peace Corps where I worked in our Office of Innovation. And so, um, you know, working at this, this sort of intersection between technology and, and, and data and public policy has always been something that I've sort of tried to straddle um, both worlds. And uh, I apologize if the sound, uh, you're going to hear a cat uh, in the background doing various noisy things. Um, so that's the exciting uh, intermix we might get as well. But, um, but we, yeah, so I've worked in that This is coronavirus. World. This is like hashtag coronavirus. <laughs> it's, the, you know? it's, it's the new reality, I suppose. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, you know, I've, I've been really lucky uh, to be exposed to a lot of different parts of sort of the, the, the innovation sector and working in everything from you know, sort of web development and uh, and design uh, to uh, sort of more of the uh, internet of things and devices space, uh, and then as well as sort of the the 3D printing and DIY uh, scene. And, and so, you know, that's something that's sort of been, we can go back and, and trace how that's, uh, how that's happened. Um, but yeah, I think it's something that, you know, DC is a really interesting space uh, to be working in that. And particularly right now, there's a lot happening around the sort of, you know, how do we, how do we innovate? How do we think about products? How do we think about, you know, we have a bunch of needs over here. How do we then create those needs um, out of the tools and, and products that we already have? So there's a lot of interesting things like that happening. 
So yeah, 3D printing's gotten really popular um, lately. Over time, you see those 3D printers, they're becoming like ubiquitous. They're starting to pop up. Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, I know that's not, uh, you know, uh, your day job, but but you're increasingly kind of involved in that space. In fact, you have, my my understanding is, a small outfit uh, uh, as well that's, uh, you know, actually creating uh, products in that, in that space. So maybe for those listeners who aren't too familiar with 3D printing, what is it? How is it different, for instance, from industrial manufacturing? Yeah, so a lot to unpack there. I mean, you know, I, I think I first started hearing about 3D printing when I was in graduate school. I was at the University of Michigan. So there's a lot of, um, you know, engineering and sort of materials sciences uh, type folks. And there were sort of, this is in 2009, 2010, there was just a lot of um, interest around hacker spaces and sort of DIY labs and the, the sort of maker movement was really taking off and you would see sort of the, the stories about, you know, this really sort of famous uh, mm. maker bot, which was one of the first sort of consumer level 3D printers um, that the people really started hearing about. And that, you know, it's sort of, if you think about that hype cycle that a lot of folks are familiar with, you know, it's sort of like the hype around this thing was up and up and up. So you look at stories around that time uh, that, you know, 3D printing was going to change, you know, industries and manufacturing. And, you know, I was really interested in sort of uh, the global south. You know, how, how, how do we think about 3D printing or manufacturing processes that can be different for places where it's just expensive to procure goods? I lived in Madagascar for a couple of years and, you know, it's an island. It's in it's off the east coast of Africa. You know, so it's not the easiest place to get goods uh, and products and stuff. So it it made me think like, oh, um, maybe this would be something that would be really useful for places where it's just harder to uh, to buy things. It's harder to receive them. You know, it's 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 harder to have sort of an Amazon store come in and uh, have one day shipping for every uh, product that you'd like. So if there were a way to make that a little bit easier, so you know, just sort of going back. I mean, that was ten years ago, and I think we've seen you know, maybe it crested. I think there was a lot of hype and then there was a little bit of a lull because people were like, well, okay, these 3D printers, they're, they're cute. Um, but you know, okay, you can print, print off some plastic things, um, and chess pieces and things like that, but you know, it's not changing the world. And so I think what's happened is that you've seen it really sort of, um, be immersed in a lot of different places. You'll see a lot of 3D printers in education. You'll see a lot of them in, you know, sort of prototyping labs for big industries and things like that. So I think it's definitely dispersed uh, and, and been diffused in a lot of different sectors and a lot of different ways. Um, but you're also seeing now this resurgence, I guess, with, with COVID-19 as people are, you know, printing off all sorts of things. And we can talk about the sorts of things we've been seeing, but um, I think it's sort of an extension of that. It's an extension really of this long trajectory that we've been seeing around DIY, around making, around being more thrifty, about really conserving the things that we have, uh, as well as other things around creativity and sort of personalization of, of devices and personalization of, of, of things that you carry around with you or that you want to you know, have on your wall and, and show off to friends and things like that. So it's sort of all these things in one. It's a, it's a big umbrella. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's helpful to kind of get that uh, perspective uh, because a lot of folks don't really know about 3D printing. 
the my what can you print uh with a 3d printer i mean are you able to print something complicated and how much does it cost a 3d printer is it expensive can and can you describe what it looks like to people who are just kind of listening in and maybe haven't seen one before yeah sure i mean um so this i'm going to try and do this without breaking too many things here uh so so this is my 3d printer so this is a very I'll try and hold it steady here as I talk about it. But this is, this is a, a, I'll just show it for a second and then I'll bring this over. But this is a typical sort of consumer level 3D printer. This is called the Simple Printer Bot uh, that I bought about, geez, five years ago now as a kit. Uh, this is an example of something that you can print with a 3D printer. So I actually did print this one um, with a 3D printer, which is part of, a whole other project is an, uh, an NGO actually run by a guy named John Scholl called Enable the Future, where their whole mission is basically to uh, use printers like this one and, and sort of these consumer, what we'll call these consumer level printers to basically print off things that folks can use, uh, particularly folks who have, you know, a need for a prosthetic, like a prosthetic hand or, or fingers and those sorts of things. And that's kind of what you're um, holding up, right? You're holding up yeah, kind of this yeah, blue yeah. prosthetic hand with Right. With so this is kind of half of a version of it. So what you would end up doing is you'd end up sort of completing this with um, some tension rods and, and wiring here so that what you could do is sort of, um, and this is obviously made for a hand that's much smaller than mine, but you sort of put your hand in there or, you know, depending on your sort of um, your disability or, or deformity or anything, um, there's different customizations you can make to it. But you'd basically be able to sort of build a, a sort of grasping mechanism that uses a sort of spring tension to, you know, build this into like a, a, a grabbing That's really mechanism. Cool. And there's all sorts of different customizations you can make depending on, you know, what the individual user wants. Now, obviously, this does, this pales, something like this, pales in comparison to, you know, a professional, like a, like a medical grade prosthetic device. Uh, but I think, you know, for a lot of the world, they don't have access to those prosthetic devices. And, and, you know, even if they did, you know, things change over time, kids grow, um, you know, and, and these, these can be pretty cool. So I, I was happy to work with this guy for a little while and, and to really support this organization. They're still going strong um, now more than ever, but, uh, yeah, so that's just an example of something that you can print, um, you know, and they've, you know, in terms of the cost of devices and things, you know, they run the gamut. I mean, this is one of the more low cost ones. And I think it was around 600 or $700, but it comes as a kit. You have to like fully assemble it yourself, which was its own. Has it, has it dropped down in price now or is it still, I mean, would you get something like this for less than 600? You can get it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Actually you can get it for less now. You can get, um, you know, you can get one for a hundred dollars, uh, now, you know, they're not terribly complicated. Um, you know, really all you're talking about is a couple of motors that basically move either the object or the print head and it's got a little heater in there. So basically all you're doing is feeding this plastic filament. It's like thick, fishing wire into this device, it heats it up, and then it prints it, it sort of lays it down layer by layer. Um, just, you know, it's basically the same way that an inkjet printer works, but, you know, it, it just, the only difference is that it adds up the layers as it goes. So it does take a little bit of time to do all that, um, but, you know, each layer sort of dries before it prints on the next layer. So um, it takes a while, but, you know, printing all the pieces for this, I mean, you know, each piece probably took like this big old, piece right here probably took 
you know, three or four hours or something like that. So you combine them all together and, you know, obviously the, the uh, Chicago screws here and things aren't like that aren't 3D printed, but, um, but yeah, most of this is. So. So, so that's interesting. The other thing I think um, that is novel about 3D printing is that the designs can be shared, right? So you can, you can literally email somebody a design. I'm not a 3D printer, so correct me if I'm wrong, or a person who does 3D printing. You can get a design emailed to you. You can then kind of plug it into the machine and then it can print something out. So in that way, it's almost... Um, has the potential to be uh, kind of game-changing for uh, low-income communities in the United States, but also around the world. I mean, what are some, what are some maybe from what you understand, kind of current applications, because you also work in the development space, like current applications of 3D printing for, let's say, a low-income or a rural community, either in the U.S. or worldwide? That's like question one. And then question mm-hmm. two is like, what are some maybe not current applications, but things that are in the near future that would be really cool for a community like that? Yeah, great questions. I mean, I think, you know, it's um, it's hard to answer in one sort of go because like I said, it's such a big umbrella because- You have to answer three- in one go. You have to. There's no editing that, you know, I'm a, a one-man operation here. There's no editing, okay? Everything has to be done in one go. Well, just, yeah, because there might be some explicit language as I go through this, so you're really going to have to That's figure it out. That's the risk that people take. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I think that, um, uh, you know, it's, I, I first got into this sort of on that policy side, thinking how can this be a game changer for economies? You know, looking at um, distributed, you know, towns and villages, you know, could this be something that you just have a, um, a 3D printer in your library, in your community center, or even your home. And, you know, what does that change? What does that allow you to do? And I think, you know, the, while there was a lot of enthusiasm about some of the potential of this, you know, it's, you also have to remember that there are some limitations. And I think some of the, you know, it's, it's, so first you have to have a 3D printer, you know, it's hard to just, you can't just make one out of whole cloth, although there are some efforts, you know, there's a really interesting effort to basically see how much of a 3D printer you can 3D print, if that makes sense. So they're up to like 80%. So you can basically, you know, almost self-replicate at this point. It's getting pretty close. Um, so that's pretty exciting stuff. But, you know, really, you do have to still have motors. You still have to get the, the raw materials of the device and you have to have electricity and it has to be consistent, right? If it turns off in, in the middle of a print or you have a power outage or a blackout, um, you know, that's, that can ruin your entire print. Machines have gotten a little bit more, um, the printers themselves have gotten a little bit more sophisticated, uh, from even this little guy where, you know, if they do stop, you can restart them, but that's still a challenge, you know? And then of course, with the materials, you really need a computer, uh, to be able to do a lot of the more interesting stuff. Now, you know, there's a caveat to that as well. Like, um, you know, you might be able to just use a mobile phone, which is a, is very helpful in and of its own. Um, but you, you know, you can also print from an SD card or things like that. So you don't always need a computer, but to really take full advantage of it, you do. So your question is, you know, well, what is this, what is the opportunity for low income communities? Um, I still tend to think that it's around, uh, the, what we see is, you know, really in the school districts and, um, you don't need, you know, every single household to have one of these things, but, um, you can get folks really interested and get kids really interested in the engineering aspects and the design aspects and the creativity aspects of it. Um, 
at, you know, at, at that level. And it's not a huge investment uh, for a school to, to have to make. I think in terms of, you know, there's um, thinking about the actual prints and the devices and things like that. Like, what can you make that's useful? I mean, there's, um, there's a lot of sites that have sort of objects and, and designs, as you were mentioning, that you can print out that can be useful, like, you know, different sort of like coat hooks or uh, sort of things you can use around the house, uh, things like that. So I've like, I look around and I see, you know, little gadgets um, everywhere of things like, you know, little designs or, um, you know, like a little dinosaur like this guy um, that I printed off at one point to test things out. Um, but there's all sorts of other, I'm not seeing any in my immediate vicinity. Well, right, right behind now, you, there's also uh, the the handle that you made oh, uh, yes. through, through your company, right? This is um, right. So, well, we can get to that in a second. But but this is one of these things where it's, you know, it's, it's a useful um, device that, that, or a useful object that you can actually do something with. So, so I think there are those category of things where um, it's useful, but, you know, it, it pales in comparison to, you know, sometimes you just need like a hammer and a nail, you know, you need something metal, you need something sturdy, you need something um, that's going to be, uh, you know, really customized for a particular application. So it's not as if, um, I, you know, it's like the, uh, the replicator in Star Trek at this point yet, you know, it's, it's getting there. I mean, you know, the, all the materials that you can do, there's all, you know, it's really, it's, it's all about plastics right now, but uh, there's so many things that are using, they're starting to use ceramics, they're starting to use metal and wood and all sorts of other, um, I mean, there's literally hundreds of different types of materials that uh, some of the printers use. So I think we're starting to find some spaces where there might be some really interesting and novel um, uses. Yeah, it's, I mean, it sounds like the way you're describing it to me is it's kind of a modern, at least in the education space, you know, which is where I have some Nexus to it's kind of a modern wood wood shop, right? Remember, I mean, when we were going to high school, you had like wood shop and whatever uh, drafting and all these kind of classes, and it's kind of a modern uh, iteration of that, which is relatively low cost, and then maybe might prepare a low income community for a career, or at least get them interested in a career in tech, which is where a lot of jobs are going, mm-hmm. especially now that we're decimating kind of more traditional jobs because of the coronavirus pandemic. Yeah. And I, I think, um, I, I think that's a really good analogy and, and I, I want to be clear too. I mean, you know, what we're sort of talking about is the sort of like consumer level 3d printers, but when you're talking about 3d printing, you can also be talking about like the medical industry that uses it for, you know, 3d printing of, of biological material and, um, you know, frameworks and lattices for, uh, skin grafting and things like that. So there's a lot of, you know, really next level sorts of things that use, you know, the similar principles as, as what we're talking about, where you have sort of layer by layer by layer that builds up, but for completely different um, purposes. And, you know, there could be applications of that that are, you know, far reaching beyond sort of just, you know, developing a nifty piece of a plastic toy or something. Um, you know, this could be, you know, if you're, if you have a hospital that has a 3D printer for skin grafts or something that can be a real game changer for a rural community that doesn't have access to, uh, you know, the sort of, um, um, uh, you know, high end or, or, or other materials that you'd find in, in different types of hospitals. So, um, you know, it's not an area I know a ton about, but I think that's important to think about that, you know, we might see advantages, even though everyone might not need or have a 3d printer in their home for, for plastic materials and, and things like that, there might be some really interesting sort of, 
end user applications of it. You're starting to see that too. I mean, like the, um, I'm forgetting the name of the company, but the, but the company that does uh, braces, um, you know, like custom, custom fit braces, you're starting to see some applications in eyeglasses and really getting form fitted eyeglasses uh, for your pupil distance and everything like that. Um, all, you know, all sorts of, you know, orthopedic type um, things as well. So, so there's, you know, there's a real interesting sort of horizon level of, of what's around the corner on this stuff. I mean, like speaking of medical stuff, and it's also in the news now, you know, we're living in this kind of, we're two weeks into the coronavirus pandemic for those that might be listening, you know, after the world ends. Um, but, but a lot of, um, you're seeing kind of news articles uh, about folks or even small companies printing their own ventilators, uh, some that are using at least part of a 3D printer to make masks because there's a lack of ventilators and masks. Is that a viable, how viable is that, you know, to use 3D printers for that? Is that, are those, I imagine they're not as effective uh, as regular industrial produced equipment, but but uh, what do you what do you think about those efforts? Yeah, I I mean I think it's been really fascinating, frankly, to see. I mean it's been really interesting, and there's a lot of um, enthusiasm. And I th- I think you know I think it's um, it's I, I'm sort of feeling about it the same way that I felt initially, which is like just sort of pure excitement and just and and joy at seeing some of the enthusiasm and the sort of creativity and you know, inventiveness uh, and just like, you know, get out there and, and do it sort of mentality of a lot of these, um, these projects and efforts. And I, and I think, and you're seeing it across the board, you know, I think like the first one I think I saw was, you know, a design for um, a mask that would basically, you know, you could, it was sort of the, the, the outline of the mask where the, the, the plastic part or the main part, and then you'd have replaceable filters in it, something like that. Um, and I think those, you know, uh, so, so we'll get to the medical part, the FDA part of it in a second. But I think that, you know, from a purely um, uh, j- just sort of, you know, gut reaction, I think it's really great that people are recognizing that, you know, there's an obvious uh, supply shortage. And they're saying, look, we have the tools in front of us. I've got this 3D printer that I bought two years ago and I'm not doing anything with it. Is there something I can do? Is there a way I can contribute? And that's not just the individual, that's also, you know, organizations, libraries, makerspaces, you know, extreme sort of hobbyists that are really doing it as well, that say, look, I've got all this capacity, there's got to be something I can do. And so when you dig a little deeper too, you find that not only are there these potential masks, which I think to your point have a little bit of, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of a gray zone in terms of the, the medical fit for them and how effective they're going to be. But there's some other things that you know, are less sort of sexy, but all the more maybe useful where, you know, the folks are developing like uh, visor shields, right? And so you can actually get, you know, right. a sort of uh, curved piece of plastic as the visor shield itself, but people are just 3D printing literally that thing that it connects to, the head unit piece, right? right. And so they're printing those in mass. And that's a thing where, you know, it's not the sort of same thing as a filter that you would need. Um, it's just, you know, the sort of like very simple basic connector, but you do need it to be a custom developed thing. You know, that's a perfect use case because it's small. It's, you know, you can print it relatively quickly and you can customize it for different sizes and things like that. So, you know, there's some things I think we're going to start to find these niches where, you know, there's a real interesting application where it falls perfectly into, um, you know, particularly as there's a time sensitivity to things as we're just trying to, you know, meet the, the demand. Um, you know, I think when we start getting to talking about 
ventilators and the shortage around that. I mean, that's a different conversation. I think that there's some really interesting um, and, and like amazing uh, innovations that are occurring in that space right now. And there's a bunch of people working on this to try and figure out if they can, you know, develop essentially DIY ventilators. Um, and th that would use, you know, pieces and parts that are incorporating 3D printed parts. Um, you know, one of the other really great stories that uh, are probably on folks' radar or, or should be because it's really fascinating is, you know, in Italy, they were printing just um, valves, 3D printed valves. So, very, right. again, a very simple plastic thing that can be, but, you know, there was a shortage of them. And so they said, it was oh. valves for, uh, for, ve for ventilators or medical equipment needed to treat the coronavirus? I think I, I'd have to go back and look. I think it was for ventilators or respirators or some part of the, the tooling therein. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure exactly what part of the, uh, of the process it was in. Um, um, yeah, I, I, I'd have to go back and look, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was something where it was, you know, a desperate need from particular hospitals at the time. Um, and so you're seeing, you know, I was looking this up and seeing different, like there, there, there was that story and then there's other, you know, valve shortages. Um, and, and other things where people are, I saw one story of, um, folks, uh, trying to convert, um, uh, like scuba masks into uh, respirators that could be used for for COVID patients, right? And so there was some tooling, retooling that needed to be done uh, on those things, and they were using just you know small, basic three uh, D printed parts. And 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 that gets back to what you were saying. Like the value of this is you can customize things. You can have anyone just who's got a little bit of time, computer, some design know how, can go through and say, oh, well, we just need this piece. I can imagine it. I can design it and I can right. print it, and I can have it out there. And then you have other people say, oh, well, you know, it actually needs to be bigger here, or smaller there, you know, this needs to be curved, or this needs to be flat. And that's, that's you know, it really kind of democratizes that whole process in a way, because it allows anyone to sort of weigh in. You don't have to have, you know, tons of special equipment or software or training um, to do some of these basic things. Um, so that's, you know, that's a really nice piece. It just lowers that barrier to entry for a lot of folks. Yeah. And so kind of speaking about that, um, as we're nearing the end of our time here, like what if, if you are, you know, if you are somebody who is interested in getting into 3D printing as an individual, maybe you are a school uh, who doesn't have a lot of resources, you can't have a, um, uh, a, wood, a wood shop or drafting or some other kind of industrial class, and but you still want your students to get uh, some experience in this field, maybe, at, you know, as jobs are shifting there, where would I go if I want to learn more about 3D printing? You know, what is a resource yes. um, for me? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, um, there's so many places to start. I mean, I, I think, you know, <clears throat> you don't need to have a 3D printer to get started in 3D printing. That would be my first piece of advice. And so, you know, one, one thing is, I, I think maybe this is the way that I, even I got started is, just to go look at 3D printed uh, objects and, and designs. Um, you know, there's probably the greatest website that has the most of these is called Thingiverse. And, and I don't know if we can put it in the show notes, but <laughs> maybe yeah, something definitely. like that, but okay. Um, and so, you know, it's just like Thingiverse, uh, all one word. And they have a ton of, they're essentially open source, you know, creative commons designs that anybody can just download the files and you can just, you know, if you do have a 3D printer, you can spin them up and, and print them out that way or play with them and modify them in your own way. And there's, it's, it's a really nice collaborative website where you can sort of remix things and then people will, you know, show photos of what they've printed. And so it's really nice. Um, 
the other thing is that um, you can also have, you, you, there's all sorts of services out there uh, that allow you to send them a design and they'll print it and mail it to you. And so that's kind of a nice way, like if you don't have a printer, but you know you want something specific, you're like, oh, I need this, you know, SD card holder or something like that, or a Nintendo Switch, you know, case or something. Um, that's a perfect uh, thing that you can just send off to one of these companies. Um, the the one that, that I've used recently that I like is called Craft Cloud, but there are like literally thousands and thousands of these. That's that's one I like just because they, they themselves um, work with a bunch of these small, uh, 3d printer shops. So it's not just like one big organization. They kind of outsource their work to these mom and pa shops a little bit more. So it's kind of exciting that you can, you know, you can make one order for 10 things and they'll come from 10 different places. Um, all sort of, you know, having done their own work on it. So it's kind of nice, but, um, yeah, it's pretty low cost as well. So, you know, it's not going to make the bank break the bank to print off one or two things from them. Um, and then finally, you know, in terms of the design, I think, you know, people are a little bit scared to get involved in sort of like, oh, I don't have design skills. Like, you know, I, I'm interested in the engineering of it or maybe I'm interested in the creativity, but, you know, printing in 3D or designing in 3D is, is really a lot to ask. Um, there are some really cool sites and services that you can go to. So uh, one that I really like is called Tinkercad. And so you can, you can use that and it's it like basically lets you design with very simple shapes you know, squares and spheres and, you know, rods and cones and puts them together and you can add them and subtract them in various ways. And so it, it makes it kind really of an cool. exciting, uh, exciting tool for folks to use to get started. And then you can sort of like your, it totally opens up your brain and you can see how these pieces fit together. And then you can say, oh, well, you know, actually this hub and spoke is really just a circle with other circles that are cut out of it, you know? And so, you know, it sort of forces you to see the world in a different way, which is, you know, one of the most exciting things for me. And I mean, and, and that's, you know, that's how I got into it. That's how, you know, eventually I ended up um, sort of this, the side, side hustle, if you will, you know, thankfully I had some downtime uh, between some of my, some of my uh, data science gigs. And so I was able to sort of, ha I had an idea at one point I said, you know, I really need something to like hold my phone when I'm going to, or, or my Kindle when I'm going to go to sleep at night. And so I thought, you know, it keeps like falling on my face uh, as I'm holding it there lying. And so I thought, well, let me just put a thing on the back of it and I'll snap it into place and I can just hold it like this um, so I can easily read it. I can set it on a desk or something like that. It's kind of a double idea. Yeah. Describe what your, what your, what your, uh, the, 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 give it, give, tell me what it's called and describe what you're, what you're uh, sure. referring so, to. So this is the, this is the, uh, and thank you for letting me do my, my pitch for the company here. But, um, so this is the proper handle, which is part of the proper things line. This is the thing, the sort of flagship product that started the whole yeah. thing. And but like, it's essentially and because just a, it's, this is web 3.0. There, there can't be any, you, you gotta e take out anywhere. as many vowels. That's right. Yeah. So it's P R O P R <laughs> no E, no E, no, no e. e. Yeah. Proper. Well, the whole idea it's called proper because it's acts as a prop as it props it up. See, so Let's it's see what you did there. Yeah. It's cute. So the whole idea, so it's basically just, um, so this whole thing is 3D printed and it's got a little rubber suction cup on here. And when you twist it like this, it's got a little mechanism in here. Uh, that allows you to uh, pull the suction cup taut. And so I've got this version. I've got one a version that uses a magnet. Um, for So if you have like a phone that has a uh, connectivity on the back end, so like my iPad has one. You've got, you know, regular iPad, get one of these. 
So it's nice. You can sort of prop it up on a table. You can also hold it for reading articles and things like that. So um, and, and did that a Kickstarter handle, on it. Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt you, but that handle was was created using mostly the 3D printer, and then you attach the magnet and the the suction, the rubber suction right. for the other version yep. just onto yep. it, and That's that was exactly. it. So even the it. switch mechanism where you twist the handle, is that is that uh, facilitated like, by the 3D printer? Uh, yeah, I mean, so there's like a design on the inside, this little track, and so this is one of those things, is like teaching myself how to do this design, but you know, there's like a little metal bar that holds it all together, and um, so it's, uh, yeah, but the there's basically like four pieces in here that most of this is is just 3D printed though, um, so it holds the whole you know device together. It's really cool. Yeah, you were talking uh, about Kickstarter. I, I interrupted you for a second. Go ahead. No, no, no. Yeah, I was just gonna say like you know this was the first product, but there's um, you know we did a bunch more that are uh, so there's this device that was pretty successful, um, and then uh, there were a bunch of other things like a little phone stand, uh, sort of a um, a key holder that holds your keys in your in your pocket without sort of scratching things, um, uh, and and some other things that we're developing like little headphone holders and things like that. So we sort of just expanded this to be a little sort of custom design shop, and so now it's kind of used as um, you know with with friends and colleagues and acquaintances who have you know get in touch with me and they say you know we're trying to solve this problem. You know, I'll come up with something. We'll come up with something together, uh, and then sort of design a, a custom design um, sort of you know, 3D printed solution to an everyday uh, life challenge. So it's kind of a small little thing. It is definitely a side project, but um, it's, it's a fun side project. Awesome. Uh, Gabriel, Gabe, Gabby. Thanks for uh, <laughs> Gabby. Is good. We'll, we'll, you can call me Gabby. We'll put the uh, proper uh, website in the show notes. Thanks for also sharing those resources that um, people who are interested in 3D printing can kind of go to. Uh, we'll also put in a few stories about how communities are using 3D printers and how small businesses and nonprofits are using 3D printers to print things like ventilators where you can go to support those communities um, um, you know, or get involved yourself. Like uh, Gabriel said, you don't need to have a 3D printer to start you know, getting into the field. Thanks a lot, uh, Gabriel, for, for logging on uh, during this time, coronavirus uh, time. Hope you stay safe. Uh, Thank thanks you. also. Thank we didn't really talk about all the work you've done uh, for, you know, for individuals and communities uh, overseas, um, but, but uh, maybe for another podcast, we'll bring you in to talk about that. But thanks also for all the work you do there as well. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure. Really enjoyed chatting with you. Uh, likewise, for our listeners, uh, we will be having a series of coronavirus-related uh, podcasts as we discussed at the front of the show. Uh, tune in in a couple of weeks for our next episode. Um, and until then, stay safe. Thank you for listening. Unfair Nations brought to you by Tech Change. And we have Nick Martin here with us today in the studio. He's the founder and CEO of TechChange. Nick, tell us a little bit about TechChange. Thank you, Essen. TechChange builds beautiful and engaging online courses on topics related to tech and social change. Check out our course catalog at techchange.org, or if you've got an idea for a course and want our help to build and deliver it, get in touch today.